Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museum will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel, which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show. Founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Mr. Hutchman. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you are a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness, stop 
Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome. We got a good one tonight, y'all. Our next guest has a reputation for exceptionally satisfied clients. He helps leaders from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies achieve desired outcomes through his leadership philosophy and methodology. He has significant experience in executive development, sales process analysis and transformation, and client services and change management. He also has proven expertise in creating alignment among leaders and executives to ensure clarity, values, company culture, strategic priorities, and key business metrics. He's a student of human behavior and leadership. His track record of consulting and writing offer a lifetime of insight. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Jay Williams, author, speaker, thinker, ex-executive, and communication coach. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. The guy who wrote my bio did a great job. I, I was almost impressed with myself, Rich. Thank you. It's it's clear, easy to go with. So I, I like those ones, uh, the ones that I don't have to guess words when I'm going through. They're awesome. Uh, Jay, that's a great being, beginning. It is a great beginning, and uh, it's a great beginning to have you here tonight. And uh, I know in the pre-show you said you were humbled, honored, and we're humbled and honored to have your expertise here with us at the Misfit Nation. Uh, Misfit Nation always looks for expertise, and you heard it in the opening air. We love our coaches. Coaches are, are what keeps the world going. Everyone, no one can do it alone. Even if you think you can, you can't do it alone. You always need someone in your ear saying, hey, you may not want to turn left there. You want to turn right. Or you may want to go up, not down. So, Jay, I gave, I mean, I gave part of your bio there. It was a real good one there. If you want to expand upon that a little bit to give the Misfit Nation a little bit more about you, from as far back as you want to go to how we got here, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I won't go to the womb. We won't go that far oh, back, Richard. <laughs> we'll jump in. Now, you know, for anyone listening, uh, you know, I think the reality is, is if you're listening is uh, I certainly don't want you to be impressed with me. Maybe like a lot of you who are listening. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, 16, moved out, hadn't finished high school. So, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who uh, didn't finish high school, uh, attended college, you know, here and there, like for some of you, you know, took courses and uh, you know, is a, a time that you could you could work, and uh, you know, through that, I began to have some experiences. And I think early on, uh, you know, one of the things that I realized is, that, and it was advice that was given to me was, and I think you could relate to it, is um, just fake it till you make it. So, Rich, I don't know if you ever got that advice, but that's yes. some of the first advice I got, right? <laughs> and so. Um, I moved out, uh, like I said, and I was, I was fortunate enough to get a job in sales and very quickly kind of moved up to the ranks and got into the management. And, and being young, that was the advice that was given to me. 
And so I, I think early on, even though I couldn't articulate it, I, I realized that that wasn't a strategy that was going to work well for me. And it was more so that I'm going to have to face it till I make it. And part of facing it required me to be humble and transparent about where my strengths were and where my experience was and where it wasn't. And so I share that with you because people have asked, well, what point did you realize you want to do what you wanted to do? I don't know that I realized at that point. I just realized at that point is that some of the traditional advice that was given out so graciously wasn't useful for me. And so um, through my career, you know, not to take you through each step of the way, but I began to move up and, you know, you jumped to about my mid thirties or so. I, I was in a position where I, I was successful, but I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And, you know, as I thought about it, uh, I didn't love my work and I thought, well, what part do I love? And the part that I really loved was helping people to get to a next level. And I enjoyed sharing what my knowledge and experience was. And what I didn't enjoy was being responsible for other people on a day-to-day -day basis. So if anybody listening can relate to that, it was at that point that I jumped off and said, hey, you know, I, I think where my comfort level is, is as an individual contributor. And so that's where I began to work with organizations around really uh, blending um, their their IQ, you know, uh, in with this skill set of their uh, EQ, their emotional intelligence, and uh, just really uh, helping them to combine the two to really maximize their performance. So I'll pause there. I don't know if I went far enough. I went deep enough, but I'll pause there. I think that's a good uh, steps there, to showing that you you were not a what people would say are the perfect stereotype of a person that graduated high school, college, do all the stair steps that people think are awesome to do to get into that corporate world. You actually gave yourself a harder route, but as a challenge, you accepted and you were able to uh, excel in sales. A lot of people can't sell stuff, but there's some people that can sell ketchup popsicles to Eskimos mm -hmm. and you might've been one of those people. So that, that I mean, that some sales isn't for everyone and you did, you did excel at that, but then you also started to learn other lessons along the way and lessons in leadership, lessons in humanity, and lessons in human behavior. And that's where, where I think a lot of uh, leaders lose it is understanding their people and understanding the individual needs of each person. And have, as you were growing in the corporate ladder, and then, of course, when you became the ex-executive, as you're looking back in through the glass, can you see the lessons of humanity that you learned, human behavior? What is ailing humans the humanity right now? And how can leaders adjust their styles to affect their whole team instead of just individual person? I'm going to do all my style towards this guy and then hope it bleeds off. Sorry, I just want to have a tendency to ramble. So okay. this is me organizing my thoughts, which is <laughs> to answer your question, what ails humanity really, it's scalable, right? Because I've worked with people that are um, entrepreneurs, have small businesses and from mom and pop all the way up to Microsoft. And so that that's the first thing, if you're listening, that sometimes you feel as though your challenges are unique to you, or it's just a small business owner, it's a first time CEO, and it's male or female. It's scalable humanity. And so that early on, I began to realize that too, Rich, is that there was something that was happening 
my ability to relate to people was what was gaining me access to different experiences and different positions. It wasn't so much my technical knowledge. So I'll bridge the gap when you say what is missing is I believe there's some words that when I was growing up in my career weren't used. So one would be empathy. And so empathy now is the number one. It's a skill in the sense it can be taught that the behaviors in, in showing empathy uh, is the number one skill that leaders they're looking for in leaders. And they just did a, a survey with 100 CEOs and they said that the number one skill that they need in a, in a, in a leader is this emotional intelligence, which empathy would be part of that. So what's new and what's a, a humanistic trait is this empathy. I think when you look at some of the vocabulary, like trust, and so, um, you know, the, the speed of trust is written by Stephen Covey Jr., probably probably closing in on 20 years ago now. However, that wasn't vocabulary that we used in business. So now we have trust that's, that's used, it's integrated. It is a new currency in which we operate off of. So you have trust and you have empathy. And then Marcus Buckingham just wrote a book about love and work. So to answer your question, Rich, what about humanity have I learned, is that I think before we were coached and taught and we had this belief system on one person at work and on one person at home. And what's become more abundantly clear over the last 36 months is that the people want their, their favorite person this person who's connected emotionally. And so I think from a human standpoint, when you look at organizations, is that they're going to have to integrate this humanity, these human traits like empathy, trust, love, respect into the day-to-day -day interactions with their people. And to your point, as a leader, how do you adjust your style? You're going to need to adjust your style based on the needs of the individual. And that's going to require empathy. It's going to require respect because people define those things differently. So as a leader, you're going to have to start understanding how your people uh, define those words. How well did I do? That You asked a great question. I was trying to shrink it down. That was good. And you said you're going to ramble. You didn't ramble on at all. You actually hit all the points of that question very well. I wrote down empathy when you said that's a word that basically is, it's new to leadership. And I can guarantee it was not used in the first three quarters of my career in the military. Empathy was not a word that I ever heard. Uh, I might've heard it towards the tail end, but it wasn't as a leader. It was probably in a story somewhere or in a movie I watched. I heard something about empathy. And then when I finally yeah. got, a, got my grown up job is when I finally started hearing things about this empathy thing. And I was like, wow, if I had an empathetic leader when I was coming up, things might've been a lot different. But it's, it's, a, it's a real different world when you have someone that is emo has that emotional intelligence and social intelligence and understands the need the needs of the human and that each person is different. And it took me a long time to evolve as a leader to find that right niche, I guess, for me as a leader. Uh, I did 22 years in the army and probably 11 years in, I finally hit the, I was running, I was sprinting forward as a leader. I finally found the right way to do it. And I think it worked out well for me. I probably had it before that I was just jogging. I did that little jog phase first. And then I said, yeah, this is working. Let me start sprinting. And I went with that the rest of the way. And that's the same way I do it now. I treat each person as an individual. And then when I have the team together, I uh, combine the styles to get them all motivated to do the same thing. But you got to, like you said, you have to address each human as a human, as not a, yeah. not as a number in the company, not as a, a ladder on the wrong, well, wrong on the ladder, but as a human. And if 
If you respect them as a human, they'll respect you and they'll do more for you. Use the word respect. And I think we, this would be an example is where we miss an opportunity because there's, um, there's a woman, Amy Cuddy, she wrote this book and um, presence in, in, in the book. Uh, she, in doing the research, she found that globally human beings look for two things in every interaction and it's trust and respect. And, and for anybody who's done that, I don't want to claim to be an expert in this area, but for anyone who's done work in this area, this is if the people had food, water, and shelter. So let me just preface it with that. This is what, you know, trust and respect. And I think our definition of respect, it's gotten a little bit diluted over the past few years, certainly the way I grew up. So as an example, and I don't know what it was like for you, Rich, or any of the listeners, is I was taught that you were respectful, whether you respected the person or not. And we've had a definition that's expanded now that people use that, well, if I respect your opinion, if I respect your religious belief, if I respect your identity choices, your political choices, whether you get a shot, then I'll be respectful. But if I don't, then I don't need to be. And from a human standpoint, I think it, it's okay not to respect someone. There's certainly people I've encountered in my life, Rich, and it sounds like you have as well, that you haven't respected. Yet, I would, I'm going to assume I don't know you well, but based on the way we've interacted, you are still respectful to that person. And I think that that's the challenge now when we have these multi-generational workforces is people's definition of things we don't always respect flexibility right okay. <laughs> I don't know how you, was that a big word the military flexibility like hey which shift do you want to work and how many hours a week were you looking to put in uh you know you mentioned the word empathy i don't think i heard the word anxiety or stress uh, truthfully maybe until my latter 20s i mean i grew up in la and trust me i mean we we're on welfare we had every I, I didn't hear anxiety or stress. And so you do hear that in the vocabulary of a certain generation. And whether we respect it or we define it that way, we begin to miss when we're not respectful to those people. And so I love that you said that. And I think foundationally, wherever you're leading, whether it's in your small group in your church or you're a CEO of a company, or you're just somebody who influences other people, integrating that and empathy and respect, I think that they, there's a uh, a direct line between the two of them. Definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head with the respect uh, concept. So you're always taught to respect those who are in charge or something. So in the military, you have a leader that is um, hot garbage. You're going to respect him as his position, not as a him yeah. or her. And the same thing, a lot of people will respect a police officer because they are a police officer, not because of the person they are to try to get away with, get out of something. They'll just give that respect, even though they, they may not like that person or a lawyer or any adding any title. And they'll do that same thing. And like you said, and with us in the military, it was it was pretty common to respect a, a rank or, or a position just to get by the day without having troubles and just do your job. <clears throat> There's value in being respectful, even when you don't respect someone. And I think what you guys did that was brilliant, that, I would invite people to do is to f find out where you can be respectful 
to that person. And you mentioned some things. Sometimes it's a title. Sometimes it's a uniform. And you have to search. If you can't find it, at least for your own standard, you know, just what, what story do I want people to tell? Am I a respectful person or am I only respectful when it's something I agree with? I mean, that dilutes the definition a little bit. So I think for leaders, um, when you talk about empathy, when you talk about respect, those aren't, we talked about respect as you went up the ladder. I think now it's integrating respect vertically, horizontally. I mean, it's 360 respect. And so I think for leaders now, your ability to do that, be respectful to people when you don't respect them, their thinking, their definition, their work ethic is going to be key because I think right now, you know, everything's about um, attrition and attraction, right? I mean, even if your employees or with clients. So this respect and, and learning a common definition for your organization and for yourself, I think can serve you well. It definitely will. And uh, especially, like you said, 360 leadership, it, a lot of companies now do that 360 survey of, of a leader from their peers, their subordinates to see how they're doing. And that leader gets that feedback, actionable feedback. Well, this is an area I need to work on. So that 360 helps that leader in his or her position to become a better leader or wash out basically because they're not if they can't fix it, they might be in the wrong position to begin with. If they don't have the tools in their toolbox to move forward with that, those, uh, with those surveys results, with the data, the raw data that's right in front of them from their own people, they may need to find a new uh, profession and maybe try again elsewhere before they really hurt someone in their own organization. You know, you mentioned that feedback and there's a, if you don't mind me going off a little bit of a tangent, but help me out, Rich, is uh, I've developed this new content that I've been delivering and it's called the F-bomb. It's the F word. It's a word that begins with F and ends in K. And so as you can imagine, I give an audience a chance to guess what the word is. Uh, it's feedback. And I think it could be this. I don't want to say the single most because I think there's multiple. It's one of the top things that I think people could benefit off of if they can redefine what feedback is. The, the instant response is they said, well, you know, how do you feel about feedback? And they said, well, it depends on if it's good or bad. To your point, it's just information and data to improve your performance. What if you just stop there? So that leader that's getting that information and data to improve their performance, that's all good. It, it, it is. And so working with organizations to shift their thinking so that not only they give it, because I think people out of the giving and getting, they're probably more comfortable with giving feedback, especially unsolicited. Uh, the gift is, is how can you solicit feedback? So an example would be that 360 feedback. And I think if you see it as information and data to improve your performance for that person, because that's the other thing is somebody gives you feedback that may be great for them, but not true for someone else. And so if you can just take it, you know, as a filter, do you mind me giving an example of that? Okay. You can say no. I've been married 33 years, Rich. You can just say no and we'll <laughs> shut no it down. <laughs> yeah. I, um, th this happened about four months ago. Uh, I got fired. A, a client said, Hey, this is going to be our last time working with you. I'd done something with their company. And they said, oh, just, you know, just kind of fill me in what would change the time frame for you. They said, yeah, this felt a lot like therapy. And so I got this feedback, right? And, you know, I got 
to tell you, I'd be less than authentic to the audience as much as I talk about this and as proficient as I should be, I, I was still hurt that they didn't like the approach, right? And so as I thought about it, uh, and this was on a Thursday, I gave myself some time to be bummed because I just realized that's it's it's a mechanism for me that just allows me just to stop, and just if you want to sit and be bummed to just do it. And so from methodology standpoint, for anyone who gets feedback that they don't like, I'm not saying it's what you should do. I'm just saying what works for me. Sometimes I can sit in it and I just give myself an hour. I'm going to be bummed. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. Interestingly enough, it never, you know, I don't need that full time period. But in this case, I began to look back at it and I said, you know, I asked them for feedback and they gave it to me. Okay, so we were good there. Then I looked at the feedback. I thought, well, did I like it? I went, aha, <laughs> that's where the pinch point was. So, uh, and listen, I think anybody who's listening, we always want to do our best. And, you know, if, if you think that you're self-aware and somebody points something out that you didn't see, now you're wondering, gosh, what else have I been missing, right? So that next Monday, I was working with a group. I said, hey, before we get started, I got some feedback. I just want to see where you guys are with this. And so it's a group of about 12. And they said, the feedback I got, I said, is actually fired last Thursday. Uh, they said, felt too much like therapy. And Rich, everybody gets a smile on their face. I was like, oh my God, I'm getting fired again, <laughs> this time by 12 people. And I said, tell me what the smile is about. They said, it does feel like therapy. I said, you're smiling. How do you define therapy? And this was what was really an aha for me. They said, therapy to me is that there's a problem, we discuss it, and we come up with a solution. That's exactly what I want. And so it was insightful for me for this feedback that that was information data that person gave me on a Thursday for them to improve my performance with them. And you alluded earlier about adjusting your style. And what I realized for this group is that it wasn't bad feedback. It was just feedback. For this group, they like that quote unquote therapy. Now, and for anybody who's a psychologist, I certainly wasn't claiming it was therapy. I'm just saying, like I get that disclaimer in there. Definitely. So I, I think for leaders now, when you talk about it, so if empathy, I think respect, I think your receptivity and even beyond receptivity that you begin to um, actively pursue this real time feedback, because the sooner you get it, the sooner you can improve. So thank you for letting me go off on that tangent, Rich. That's a good one right there. And it's the sooner you can make actionable decisions to make yourself a better, better person, better leader, better presenter along the way. Uh, I just, I'm in pursuit of my doctorate right now. And up until this last three weeks, everything's been smooth sailing, smooth sailing. And then my dissertation starts this uh, three weeks ago and everything since those three weeks has been uh, tidal waves and a roller coaster. So kind of give me that instant feedback of, hey, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. So it took now three weeks to finally get a yes, that's going to work. I was taking all, all the professor's feedback, writing down his notes, everything he said. I got a call with him. We talked for about 30 minutes, wrote down paragraphs of notes from him. I took all that actionable feedback and I presented him with a paper today. And finally, he gave me a thumbs up. So it took me three weeks of being a knucklehead to finally get back a get get to row in my boat and get straight again. So, <laughs> Well, um, first of all, congratulations to you on getting your doc. What are you getting your doctorate in? Homeland Security. Oh, well, again, thanking you for your service. Uh, again, it's, uh, 
you know, and you think about something that's really, I mean, it's our homeland, right? It's where we feel safe or we don't feel safe. And imagine someone in your role who wasn't receptive to information and data that would improve their performance. And that's what I mean, humanity scalable. And I don't make light of, you know, what you do. And I think there's times you do need to make decisive decisions. And I think more than ever, especially in what you're doing, is time is of the essence, right? And how do you make faster decisions that are better decisions as well? And they can't be mutually exclusive because even the best decisions you need quicker. And that's our gift. If somebody can give us this information and data real time so that we have this open, honest, on-time communication, I think probably your ability, the receptivity that you model determined how easy it was for your professor, for someone to, to share that with you. And so I, I, for those who are listening, I mean, there's few things that you'll do that are more important than Homeland Security, right? I, that I can think of. And it's just great to hear someone at your level be go, hey, you know what? I don't know anything, everything. And that's where when we, you know, it's called a callback in comedy, but when we go back to the beginning about uh, fake it versus facing it, and it's a chapter that I wrote in the book, is that I can't, if you're going to protect me, Rich, I can't have you faking it. I need you to face it. I need that humility, that transparency of, hey, I don't have all the information data. Someone else that may have more experience. So it's it's reassuring hearing for myself that there's someone at your level with the gravity of what you're going to be dealing with that has that receptivity. I appreciate that. When you said that, I just clicked in my head. I just did the same thing. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. And speaking of your book, uh, tell the audience the title of your book and a little bit about it. Yeah. So it's um, there, there's two books, and not not to be boastful, but if just so it doesn't get confusing. So the first one is called "Leave Your Mark," and it was um, I wrote that one uh, just about six years ago now, and at that time. The world was different. I mean, it just was for all the reasons that everyone knows. And so there, those chapters are a little bit longer and there's exercise in it. But it's really the um, the thinking and the skills of the behaviors of people who leave their mark. And we talked about values and building trust. And the reason I mentioned that is that the second book, This Versus That, things had changed quite a bit. And I think primarily people's attention spans had changed. And so this book was really written, um, any of the chapters, and it's 24 chapters of management versus leadership, hubris versus humility, IQ versus EQ, all these things as I was working in organizations and with people I saw as pinch points. And so each chapter is designed to be read in about four to six minutes. And then there's three questions to continue the conversation to go a little bit deeper. And so that uh, book is where I spend most of my time and work with organizations now. And when I wrote the book in the beginning, it, you know, I, I mentioned it may sound like common sense because as I was writing it, it, it sounded like common sense. The filter I, I wanted people to use was, is this common practice? Because I think, you know, is that it's not the knowledge, it's the applied knowledge. And so that's where my focus is, is I operate at some level so people know already, especially the, the groups I end up working with. And so when they bring me in, it's really to apply the knowledge that they know already. And that was the idea of the book. I wasn't going to convince you on anything. I, 
I'd hope you were convinced at that point. It's just how do we bridge the gap between knowing and doing? So that one's called this versus that. That's awesome. Uh, I, the title of your first book, and you said six years ago, and this is before that last word of that first book was really a big uh, mark there, influencers. So influencers now, we think of something totally different six years ago. Now it's you, someone on TikTok doing some insanity, some dance or something. Influencers ago was someone standing up on the stage and motivating a group of people or maybe a small group in a, in a corporate setting, motivating them to and influence them to do better or be a better human. So I think it's perfect that you said the six year difference. And then now the, the attention span of a gnat we have now. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> well, I, I'm laughing because I think for all of us now in the workforce, there could be you could be working with three or four generations very, very easily. And so words that you and I may have used as someone who's a leader is really anyone who influences. I've had to give that differentiator. I'm not talking about the number of followers that you have, you know, on TikTok or yeah, Instagram, but actually people that influence other and shift their thinking and their emotions and their behavior and ultimately their performance. I'm not for anybody who has a lot of followers, I'm not minimizing that by the way. I'm just differentiating. That's all rich. Exactly. And that's why I said that six year difference is perfect for the whole subject too, because yeah. the wave has grown now. It's it's kind of a a steep uh, technological, I guess, grab for that for those influencers. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up something that I think's worth a conversation, not a whole long conversation. Now is that technology is outpaced the evolution of technology, our evolution of communication, and I think that's where there's a real pinch point right now. And I realize what artificial intelligence is moving, and it's moving rapidly. I think that's the biggest threat is if it begins to bridge the gap of communication, connection and collaboration quicker than we can as human beings. And so I, I think if you have an organization now and for most organizations, this might not be universally true. The business that you're in is in the people business. The industry could be finance. It could be beauty. It could be biotech. Any, Generally, the business that you're in is people, and there'll be a direct correlation between how well you know people and how well you can, um, you know, that attrition and attraction dynamic. And so I think as technology has evolved at the pace that it has, is that we got to take a step, just pause because things are moving so quickly. And how do we accelerate our ability to communicate with people so that we not only have their mental and physical and financial commitment, we have their emotional commitment because that's that ultimate trigger for discretionary performance. I think that every company you need it in the military. Certainly, you know, I think you need it in corporate America. You need it in small business now more than ever. And it's not enough to have people who you have their mental, physical, financial, they take the paycheck, they show up to work, they work their hours. You just don't have that discretionary performance. And I think uh, along with those six years we were talking about earlier, communication is kind of taking a, a, a nosedive and really worsened during the, the COVID time where people didn't see people or were afraid to see people and they didn't look at them, didn't speak to them. And we lost a probably a, a whole younger generation, lost a lot of social emotional skills just by not being with their peers or not being with their friends and not being able to go to the park and get beat up or whatever or scuffed up at the park and come home and say, mom, 
I was playing with little Johnny. He beat me up, and but we played ball after it, so it was fun. They can't do that anymore because they don't know how to. They physically and mentally do not know how to do this. I went to a. I was at the VA for a hospital appointment the other day, and I tried to make an, a follow up appointment, and the person was on their cell phone and just handed me a number to call. Never looked at me. I said, "Well, thank you, thank you so much for all the things you do for me," and I walked away. <laughs> I was nice because I've been told I'm not nice to the VA, but I tried to be nice that day and I just walked out. <laughs> well, I think that's where human beings will be eliminated in roles. I mean, the reason that I shop online for anybody who owns a retailer, it's not directed at you. It's just the online experience supersedes what I get in person. I get what you did where people don't give you eye contact. They don't offer to help. They're not polite. It's not an experience. And I think we're we're still human and like you, just can you give me eye-to-eye contact? Can you acknowledge me? Just something that doesn't rob me of my significance, my self-worth and sense of belonging on this planet, which someone not looking at you checks all three of those boxes versus a person that puts their phone down and says to you, you know, Mr. LaMonica, I'm here for you. What can I do to help you? Yeah, and there's no one here to do the scheduling, but here's how we can help you out. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Made my day a little better. Yeah. Yes. Strange how that works out. <laughs> little humanity goes a long ways. A tad bit of humanity would always help. And uh, we've talked about that. I think we, we've hit the nail on that head uh, a bunch of times in this conversation. Right? And you showed the audience uh, a lot of your expertise in that. And communication is a big one. Your two books. How do they get in contact with you, Jay? If they want to chat with you or hire you or just get you on their show. Yeah, I, I appreciate you asking. Uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me, if you go to the JWCO.com, so T H E J W C O.com, that's how you get to my website. You just go to connect there and you can actually just schedule the time. So the JWCO.com. And I love having conversations. So, uh, you know, or you may have a question uh, that, you want to answer my commitments i always respond within 24 hours so if you don't hear back from me that means i missed the message or i'm dead but in any event please reach out again Hopefully you yes. just missed the message <laughs> yes yeah we'll, we'll be optimist yes so yeah that's that's really the best way the book you can purchase on amazon um it's uh 100 of the profits by the way for the book, go towards stopping um, human trafficking. I just, I live outside Philadelphia in Bucks County. And unfortunately we have an infrastructure that just, it, it kind of supports that work. And so uh, that's, that's where the money goes for that. And you can buy that on Amazon. Awesome. That's a great cause to be involved with. I think I have a guest in a few weeks that's an expert in uh, combating human trafficking. So that's a pretty awesome uh, segue to them as well. Well, I look forward to listening uh, to that show. It's uh, we all got to do our part, whatever part it is. Bunch of crumbs make a cake. You've heard that expression. So you having people on the show and just that's kind of how it got on my radar. Is at church one Sunday, a guy speaking. I thought he's talking about third world country. I didn't realize he's in my backyard. So, yeah, you giving a voice in an audience. It's a great contribution. Trying to defeat defeat another piece of evil. So. There you go. But it's a homeland that covers everything for you. Yes, it does. Jay, this has been great chatting with you. Uh, if you could give 
just three tidbits to the audience to be a better human and lead better, what would that be? Three tidbits. Uh, one, if you want to be an effective communicator, the most effective communicators communicate from the other person's perspective. So if you take that away in your communications, and you can't do that until you first understand it. So the second part is any conversation you have, lead with a question versus a statement. And I, I, I would just leave it there. My experience has been, if I'm intentional about communicating from the other person's perspective and we'll take the time to understand it and use questions to do that, whether it's in business and negotiation or personally and in conflict, it's uh, the questions have led people to believe that I care. And when they believe that I care, there's a trust that happens there. And so I think humanity's looking for trust and respect in their relationship. So how's that for a call back? That's awesome right there. You brought it all back. You Good. Well. I did I awesome. think to do that. <laughs> Outstanding, Jay. Thanks again for taking some of your time tonight to hang out with us and uh, look forward to hearing the great things from you in the future. I appreciate it, Rich, and congratulations again on that uh, doctorate and your thesis being completed next time we chat. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble. Stay hungry and keep hustling because we are 